Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman, and we have a great show for you today. Um, We are here talking about acupuncture and we are here with a very special guest, Laurel Turk. Um, So welcome, Laurel. Thank you, Caroline. Um, So so Laurel, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what do you do in the Pioneer Valley? So um, I am an acupuncturist and a Chinese herbalist, and uh, I have been practicing here since 1996, so quite a while. Um, And I think I first came to the Valley in 1986, and then I went off to California to go to acupuncture school and came back. And what brought you to um, the Pioneer Valley in 1986? That was feels uh, like it was a forever ago kind of uh, moment. Yeah. Um, let's see. I had um, done some of my undergrad work up at Goddard College in Vermont. Um, before that, I was I, I grew up in Ohio and lived in the Midwest, and um, so that brought me to New England. And then um, there was a group of friends who I met there who um, we had the dream about buying land and doing sustainable agriculture and being self-sufficient. And um, we did end up living out in Cummington and a couple of my friends are still there. Wow. So that's what initially got me here. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Do Did any of those kind of sustainable um, agriculture practices uh, fall into your uh, your your herbal practices with your acupuncture now. Well, um, like, do you grow any of your own herbs? So, um, I do not grow any of my own herbs. I have colleagues who are starting to do that and who have been trying to do it for a while. Um, a lot of us, and I am one of them, um, are kind of UPS herbalists. <laughs> we order our herbs and they come in a box. Um, so I don't have a lot of connection to that, um, growing the herbs, um, myself personally, but I do know some folks who are, who are doing that. And, um, also when I was in California, I met herbalists out there who were doing things that, uh, UC Berkeley, I believe, and growing a lot of Chinese herbs and and then trying to determine if where they grow actually affects their potency. That's another another issue um, for oh. herbalists trying to grow things here. Yeah. yeah. And do you do you um is that a big part of when you're kind of sourcing your herbs? Do you try to source them from um directly from uh from China or from their like land of origin or do you kind of feel like I mean how how do you source herbs Um, how do you source herbs that's such a good question so I basically source from a couple different places who I trust immensely and my um the bulk herbs or the raw herbs that I get for people to make tea out of um they come from a company where um 
um, the person who runs that company is uh, really been working very, very hard with growers um, in China to um, produce organic products to, they have really, really extensive testing um, for both pesticides used here and pesticides used in Asia. So I really trust the quality of, of their products and I can't get things from them sometimes because they can't find a clean source of it. Um, and then um, I also, with my granulated formulas, really um, also work with people who I really trust their quality and their safety. Hmm. So, um, you know, on, on your website, um, and if people are just tuning in, we're chatting with Laurel Turk, uh, who's an acupuncturist. Um, and on your website, Laurel, um, I, you kind of mentioned that you're one of the few local herbalists who have a, a bulk herbal pharmacy. Um, so I kind of I was kind of curious about that. Um, well, first of all, why? What are the challenges of like running a bulk herbal pharmacy, and why? Why do f- so few people locally have uh, this? This bulk. Well, let's let's just clear that. What is a bulk herbal ph- pharmacy? What, what is, is that? <laughs> so yeah, when you decide to go to a Chinese herbalist and take herbs, there are different forms that the herbs come in. Um, there are pre-made pills and tinctures. Um, one of the beauties of Chinese herbalism is that we can custom make formulas that really fit you and your constitution and individual symptoms you're presenting with at the time. Um, and to do that, um, we have a couple different choices. We have powdered or granulated herbs where we can mix up a formula. And those are ones that you add hot water to. I call them the Sanka herbs um, and drink a tea from them. But the most traditional way um, you know, for centuries that people drank herbs was to take the actual roots, leaves, barks, um, and you can make up a formula also custom made individual for you. Um, and it requires um, boiling the herbs and boiling them a couple times. Um, so it can take an hour and a half to a couple hours to boil up the herbs. And um And really, I think the biggest issue is living in the United States where people are uh, very attached to convenience or just really need that convenience. Um, I myself used to boil up herbs a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And since now I do the powders more regularly and... Um, Absolutely. My, um, my roommate uh, was seeing a, um, uh, like an herbalist. uh, And basically, she would come home with packets of herbs. And every other day, she, yeah, she spent about two hours boiling it down to like a a half a cup or a quarter cup, it had to be a very, very specific amount that it was reduced to. And if it was any more, it was uh, a little, it could have been toxic for her. Um, So she had to watch it. And she really, she spent like the evening in the kitchen. And it became um kind of a a very nice ritual for herself but you know at the end of uh a three-month series and then at at a second three-month series uh she was kind of like you know i think i'm going to take the next three months off (laughs) (laughs) she she put a lot of hours into it just you know being patient with it and you know she was very very dedicated uh to the herbs and to um to straightening out her own kind of health issues but it, it does really take a lot of dedication to to sit with um the boiling process It does. And I think, um, well, first I want to say that um, 
with my patients, often I prescribe a formula that you boil it once a week. So that cuts ah. down on part of it. Um, and that's an interesting formula that it had to be that precise because I think most formulas don't have to be quite that precise. Oh, so, interesting. Um, just FYI, um, it doesn't have to be quite that involved um, for most people. Um, but yeah, I think it takes, um, I think the person has to be, you know, people who like to boil their own herbs, they, I think they have an affinity for just wanting to see and feel and look at and play with the plants because they're kind of fun. Mm. Um, and, uh, and to really be able to take in something nourishing about that process of um, putting that time and energy into uh, something that is really going to be a heal. It has to feel like a healing process, I think. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's true for some people and it's just not true for other people. Some people are like, I just need to get these things in me. And I certainly go through periods in my life where that is true for me as well. Yeah. Um, so I also find that, um, I kind of love it when, um, people who were born in other countries or have a really um, strong connection with their uh, culture where their grandmother was feeding them herbs, you know, on a regular basis when they got sick. Some of those folks really love to cook their herbs because it reminds them of being taken care of when they were a child. Yeah. Um, and I think so. it, and it speaks to how we recognize medicine, right? So mm -hmm. in in our culture, you go to the doctor. I mean, obviously, everybody's experience is different. But, you know, like the sort of more traditional route in the United States is you go to the doctor, and they prescribe you some kind of pill, you mm -hmm. know, and sometimes it's, uh, and even the pills that we take through, um, through supplements, you know, they're, they're pill form, you know, they're not yes. often, it's not like, oh, get your iron in through like, extra greens, you know, it's like, no, right, here, exactly. here's, you know, here's some, uh, like, whatever else. So, um, so yeah, the, the concept of like pills being medicine in, in the United States versus uh, medicine being an herbal tincture or like, you know, an herbal blend that you, that you steep, that you watch your, your grandma make. Right, right. Yeah, this is slow medicine. I think Chinese medicine is slow medicine in many, in many ways. And we're just, it's not, you know, most of us grew up with like, oh, you go to the doctor, they give you something and you're fixed. <laughs> and it's not really how this medicine works. Yeah. What, what drew you to slow medicine? Um, well, I was drawn to Chinese medicine because of my own experience with it. Um, when I had some chronic health issues when I was, well, really in my twenties and my thirties. And, um, um, I also had been, um, studying martial arts and had some you know, interest in Asian philosophies and cultures through that. And, um, and when I was in college, um, there was actually another student who was studying shiatsu and, um, she used to give me shiatsu treatments. So I think that was actually my very first exposure. Oh, I'm jealous. Yeah. Shiatsu is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, you know, having, a condition that I wasn't getting any real help with from Western medicine made me look other places. You know. Do you remember getting your very first acupuncture treatment? 
I do. Um, I got my first acupuncture treatment. Um, uh, can I say her name? Sure. <laughs> Liz Fukushima. Liz Fukushima, who I, I think is still practicing in Burlington, Vermont now. Um, but she was in Northampton above the Broadside Bookstore. And um, I actually don't remember a lot about it, except I remember what she said to me. She asked me if I was nervous about the needles, and I wasn't particularly. But she said to me, you know, it's okay if you're nervous. Like, you've never done this before, and you don't know me. (laughs) And I just, it was a very sweet way to put me at ease. And um, I've always remembered that. Yeah. How, when you have new clients in the door, what's, what's your routine? How do you, how do you put them at ease? So, um, usually I've had a phone conversation with them, um, where we, where I start talking to them about how they feel about needles. And, um, I, um, I also will, I think I learned that from her and I've incorporated that to some degree to just normalize it if somebody's nervous. Yeah. Um, Because then they get nervous about being nervous. (laughs) I know. You know, we're so funny as humans. We just think we should be doing everything perfectly all the time. I know. I have that (laughs) disease. (laughs) The perfectionism problems. I have that for sure. (laughs) Um, I tell people that my um, only rule is that they're comfortable. (laughs) So to please let me know if they're too hot, they're too cold. If there's a place I'm going to put a needle and they're like, oh, I'm not sure I want you to do that. Um, And I also, with people who are nervous, um, we just go really slow. I give them a lot of control over the process. Um, I ask permission before everything that I do um, when someone's just beginning and um, it seems to work out pretty well for most people. Yeah. Do you feel like you kind of create um, like an atmosphere where people feel comfortable saying no? I really, really try to do that. Um, and uh, and some people are just more comfortable than others. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll, I've seen somebody a few times and they'll tell me something and it's like, Oh, <laughs> I really, really wish you had said something earlier, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always tell people um, when they come onto my Reiki table, I'm like, if you're not comfortable or something doesn't feel good, just say, Caroline, like, please go away or just whatever. And I say, like, right. you, you don't have to suffer through anything because sometimes yeah. even like having the bolster underneath their legs, they're fully dressed. They're like, you know, laying on the table, maybe a pillow under their head or something. But like, you know, I'm like if you you don't have to feel like you have to suffer through it. And so yeah. that, yeah, it's. I just want people to know that if they don't like something, please just let me know. Like I'm not a mind reader. Yes. And that's, yeah, that is the impetus for my comfort rap. And I'd be good to add an even more specific phrase about suffering through things. Cause that was, that's why I started giving that rap because I noticed that some people have a tendency to do that. So. Yeah. Um, and if you're just tuning in, um, you're, we're, you're listening to Energy Matters, and we're chatting today with uh, with Laurel Turk, who's a, an acupuncturist as well as a herbalist. Um, Laurel, do you feel like the the fear of needles is still a pretty? Um, do people come in with with that fear pretty strongly, or because um, I feel like acupuncture is is pretty well integrated now? Um, how does how does that kind of play out that fear? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, 
I feel like, you know, in general, if it's an individual's first time, it's an individual's first time. So um, they they might be afraid, and 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 why wouldn't they be? They've never experienced this before. I do feel like people do, though, now more than twenty years ago. Um, even if they haven't had acupuncture themselves, they've seen pictures of the needles, which I think did, wasn't true 20 years ago. You know, we all have pictures of needles on our websites and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right about that. I think there is a little bit more familiarity, um, even if it's a, if it's a first time person. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And it is also, much more common now for me to get people who have had acupuncture various places with other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I know that, I know the pandemic has sort of um, changed everything right now. Are, are you, are you taking new clients, new people into your practice or is it sort of um, how, how does the pandemic look? How has the pandemic affected your business? For me, I am, um, I am doing a lot of remote work uh, with um, people who just want to do herbal medicine. Um, and that has also included teaching people to do acupressure on themselves, sometimes moxa on themselves. Um, and then I am open for in-person visits. Um, I really only have a handful of people right now, and that's fine with me. Um, I feel that makes it safer for all of us. <laughs> so I haven't been doing a lot to promote people coming in into in for in-person visits at all. Um, but I have some people who it just, it really, really is benefiting them during this time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's certainly been a learning curve with um, <laughs> diagnosing on a video screen and um you know, forming rapport on a video screen and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, there have been some really, really great advantages to it. It's very convenient, you know, as we've all learned for, for our clients and for ourselves sometimes. Um, How do you, what does a diagnosis look like um, through Zoom? Is it like, is it the tongue? (laughs) I mean, do you ask them to do the pulse? Like what, what is that? What is a, how do you Um, tell things? I haven't been doing, I haven't, I haven't been having people do their pulses unless they have some pulse taking experience, but, um, and for herbal medicine, I mostly, I use the tongue somewhat more than the pulse anyway. So, um, I will look at the tongue on zoom and if I can't get a good, color or the quality of the video isn't great i'll have them take a picture of their tongue um in in daylight in natural daylight and have them send it to me um but mostly on zoom i've been able to do pretty well so i'm sure you know as our listeners are you know are tuning in you know what what's up with the tongue and the diagnosis like when you're looking uh, you know, because I know that people who um, do like the pulse reads get a lot of information. Mm-hmm. What kind of information do you glean from uh, the tongue when you're when you're when somebody sticks their tongue out at you? What do you? Yeah. Is it like a breath? <laughs> is it is it aroma kind of thing? Is it color? I know you mentioned color. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, we would notice if there's a smell, but yeah, we're really looking at a lot of visual things with the tongue. Um, 
So you don't need to worry about your breath when you're sticking your tongue out for your <laughs> practitioner. Um, <laughs> Um, so we're looking at the color. We look at the color of the tongue body. Um, a normal color is a nice light red, but people's tongues can be pale. They can be brighter or darker colors of red. They can be purple. Um, and those colors can be all over. They can be in certain areas. And there are certain areas of the tongue that uh, correspond with the different organ systems in Chinese medicine in the body. We look at the coating, and a normal coating is a thin white coat that you can kind of barely see. Um, some people have thicker coats, some people have yellower coats, some people have no coat or where part of it is peeled, um, and that all has diagnostic significance for us. Um, also the size, the shape, um, so there really is quite a bit of information in the tongue. Yeah. and. What, as a kind of personal preference, um, why do you choose, um, to, I mean, obviously, if you're, you know, via virtual world, it's a lot easier to use the tongue. But why was, what was your preference between doing tongue diagnostics versus doing pulse? Like for you, well, why did you pre- gravitate towards one? Yeah, pre-COVID, I do it all. Um, it all gives us a part of the picture, I think. Um, the tongue is less fickle. (laughs) Like the pulse can really change even while you're feeling it. Um, And the the tongue is a little bit more stable of a thing to look at. Um, So I just, I trust it a little more. Um, And it's, it's not that I choose it over the pulse. Um, I, but I think I sometimes find it more useful for herbal medicine. Um, Oh, some of what I'm trying to figure out is somebody more hot or are they more cold? And I can feel that from the pulse if the pulse is more slow or more fast, but it might not be. It might just be a normal speed pulse. But if I look at the tongue and it's bright red and they don't have a lot of a coating, then I know that that person has a lot of heat, even if their pulse feels fairly normal. Mm. So, Laurel, I am so curious as to... I know you're one of the old school acupuncturists in the Pioneer Valley, and you mentioned that you started your um, acupuncture practice in 1991 here. Is that correct? 1996. 1996. Okay. So, Not quite that old. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's let's give props where props are due. Um, so what's what's kept you going all these years? Like, what is it about, you know, like what drives you in this um, in this work? Good question. I just want to say, I don't think anyone's ever called me old school before. It's fine. I'm just like, oh, huh, interesting. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I've, I've been doing my practice for 10 years and I'm like, how, how does that happen? Like it just, it like flew yes. by. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, yes, <laughs> I think that's just as true at 24 years. Um, I think, well, one of the reasons I chose to go into Chinese medicine is because I had a feeling it was broad enough and deep enough that I wouldn't get bored. And that has certainly been the case. Um, I am not bored and there are, you know, new challenges all the time. And so um, one of the things that does keep me going is um, really taking advantage of the continuing education offerings that are out there and, um, 
learning uh, new skills, new styles, and in our case, old skills and old styles, sometimes older than what we learned in school. Um, And um, just, just continuing to grow and to learn and to work with different teachers who talk about things different ways. Um, I have probably, I, I started out, you know, my school taught TCM acupuncture and I have since then learned some Japanese acupuncture, some five element acupuncture, and um, most recently a Korean style of acupuncture that I'm working on. So I really like expanding my toolbox. Mm. Um, And so that really does help me keep going. And, and then I think it just, um, you know, when people I work with avoid having a surgery because of the work we did together or, you know, they really have a marked difference in their ability to sleep or their ability to digest the food they're eating, you know, nothing else was working. I mean, that's always, it's, it's kind of its own reward. Um, yeah. And I would say most recently, um, the work that I've been doing with Cancer Connection over the past several years has also been really um, a different uh, a different context to be working in. And, um, you know, the first time in years where I'm actually like have a day when I go to work at an office, which I'm not doing right now, but before COVID mm-hmm. <laughs> to actually have other people around. Yes. <laughs> that was nice too. <laughs> Um, and for um, my office is in my home. Oh, so nice. That's, yeah. Um, and for those who may or may not be familiar with Cancer Connection, um, it's a local nonprofit. Uh, I guess it's kind of right on the the cusp of Florence and Northampton. It's right across from Cooley Dickinson, and um, it's this really nice organization that provides um, either low cost or completely free services to people who are experiencing cancer. So it's like uh, you know therapy uh, kind. Of group therapy there's uh there's reiki there's um you're doing acupuncture there um there, there's all kinds of really cool stuff so if, if you guys aren't familiar with the cancer connection definitely check it out so yeah there's massage therapy reflexology there's writing groups there's art groups there's all kinds of things yeah help people process that that journey yeah mm-hmm. yeah so how, how did you end up ca- um, connecting with the cancer connection um I had breast cancer myself um, back in 2012 and um, connected with them at that time as a participant in their services. I did um, the breast cancer support group there. I did a writing group there. Um, And um, then kind of checked in with them about how things were going with their acupuncture and they had a long waiting list for acupuncture and um, we're definitely interested in having another practitioner come on board. So um, I uh, have really, um, really appreciated doing that work and, um, you know, having been through cancer myself feels like I have a, a whole different level of, of something to offer some of those folks. So yeah. Um, it's been great. Do you feel like working with that population of people who are 
you know, experiencing all the, the fear and just all the unknowns and whatnot that comes along with a diagnosis and with a health concern. Do you feel like it's healing for you to support people um, in that path when you're when you're doing the acupuncture for um, people who are experiencing that? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, is it healing for me? Um, I guess I don't think of it quite that way. I would say it nourishes me because it, you know, it, it does feel like I have an effectiveness um, in that setting that I might not with somebody who comes in with some weird autoimmune disease that I have no <laughs> idea what, what their life is like in a way. But um, um, I think if anything, I have to, when I'm working with people with cancer, really make sure that I'm not, I, I come out to them as a cancer survivor as soon as I can, because it really puts people at ease. Um, but I have to be really careful to keep my own story out of it because it can be really tempting. <laughs> like right. I have to figure out where that line is about how much of my experience to share that's really helpful for somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, do, were you, I mean, in this question kind of goes out with the um, with the premise that you don't have to answer it, but um, <laughs> I am a nosy person, so I will also say that. Um, did you fold in any, um, any additional complementary care treatments when you were receiving treatment? I did. Um, I did Reiki nights at the um, Cancer Connection, which is kind of a group Reiki scene that they have going on there. Um, community Reiki. Yes. Um, I received Shiatsu. Um, I, of course, did acupuncture and Chinese herbs. Um I did homeopathy. Oh, I did see a naturopath as well. Did you do I did a lot? Did you do Western medicine with all those things as well? I did. I also did Western medicine, yes. Wow. That's really yeah. cool. That um yeah, for uh for a little while before um of course the pandemic it kind of closed everything down. Um uh I was doing Reiki for um some of the folks at um Bay State Franklin and in Greenfield in their oncology department. Uh, um nice. so that that was kind of provided. It's starting to really more and more people are are wanting to bring in the complementary care. You know, it's yeah. it's it's coming in in a big way. Um and when did you personally notice that that was starting with that acupuncture was starting to be folded into um, into these kind of protocols in addition to the chemo and the surgery and radiation and all that kind of um, you know Western cancer treatment? Well, I think so when I got diagnosed in 2012 and it seemed like there was already acupuncture at Mass General at Dana Farber. Um, there actually had previously been some acupuncture at Cooley Dickinson, then it went away and now it's back. Um, so I'm not sure how far that goes back in terms of oncology in general. Um, but I would say, I think it was 
10, 12, 15 years ago that Cooley Dickinson had a program that had, and it wasn't, I don't think it was specifically for cancer, but they actually had a program. They had acupuncture, they had brachy, yeah, and they had massage, and then they lost funding for it, I think. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, know they, I know they do a lot with like their kind of hospice and end of life uh, care as well, mm-hmm. folding those programs in, um, or they did um, up until recently, so... That's really, yeah. that's really cool that you do that. I mean, back in the day when I was first an acupuncturist, really the only kind of um, like federal money for community care was in the HIV world. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I, it's really been, you know, 2000s, 2010s that I think it's gotten more integrated into hospitals. Hmm. Um, were you, did you ever work with um, with any uh, patients who had HIV, or did you get into any of those larger um, kind of rhythms? Um, I didn't. I in my private practice, I've had I had a couple people who had HIV, and it was right before the new drugs started coming out. Um, you know that were really helping people live uh, longer. So, um, so for a brief period, I had a couple people. That's great. That's really yeah. great. Um, so what what is um, what is your right now? I mean, I, I know that there's always sort of this like evolution of like you're kind of talking about the things that or the trends over the, the 25 years that you've been practicing. Um, what are some of the things that really um, have uh, kind of l- like lit up your life in terms of the education and con- in terms of the continued education that you've been doing? Has there any um, been any recent like workshops or classes that you've taken that you just you know, like all cylinders are, are firing or, um, <laughs> I know cause there's so many different styles. There's like the facial rejuvenation. Um, uh, so I hadn't even heard of, I hadn't heard on. of the, um, the Korean acupuncture before at all. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just curious. Have you had any, any cool, uh, courses that you've taken? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things that, that fired me up and has remained, kind of a lasting part of my practice is um, studying Chinese herbs from a five element perspective uh, from a five element practitioner who also did herbs who really, um, so the five element perspective, there's a lot more fullness of discussing the kind of emotional and spiritual aspects of the acupuncture points um, and and of the herbs. And um, so this particular teacher really, you know, I, I already had this very physical herbal framework. And then I kind of got to add a couple extra layers of coats on the hangers <laughs> to understand these formulas and kind of what they were doing for people's emotional well being. And I loved that very much. And then, um, yeah, this Korean style that um, I've been dipping my toe into. Um, it's called Sa'am, and there's a, a man in California who's been teaching it the last couple of years, and he spent many years um, following this Korean monk around Asia, is my understanding. It was a very specific style of acupuncture that was taught to the monks basically so they could take care of themselves while they were medic- med- uh, meditating in the caves. Um, 
and forgive me if anybody knows more about Sa'am than I do, um, but this is my understanding. Um, and so um, it's just an interesting, um, it kind of focuses on some different aspects. There's all these different pieces of Chinese med- medical theory. So it, it kind of focuses on some different aspects of the theory than I'm used to thinking about when I do a treatment. So, um, so that's been really interesting and it's, it's been pretty effective in some cases when other things I do haven't been. Yeah. When, and when you're just learning about these, um, kind of things, you know, with, it's called SOM, is that the Korean acupuncture? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you practice on yourself? Like, do you come home and are like, (laughs) okay, well, if these monks in caves were treating themselves, I'm going to treat myself. Does that fold into little self experimentation? Yeah, I actually did come home and practice that on myself. Um, partly because they use a much thicker needle than I'm used to using. And so I'm like, oh, I need to practice this on myself before I approach somebody else with a, a needle that's a lot larger than I'm used to using. Um, and, and yeah, and then also partly to try out the treatments and hmm, is my diagnosis of myself, uh, is this, you know, how is this working for me? What difference do I feel from it? So um, I I hadn't done that for a really long time. I think, you know, when I was in school, we used to needle ourselves a lot, but I kind of got away from that over the years. Um, Just out of preferring other people to offer the care? Yeah, or just- I think I, I will needle myself when I'm desperate or I can't easily go see somebody. But I do think there is something that happens in the energy exchange um, that is helpful for acupuncture. Um, but yeah, it, I can definitely treat some things on myself. Sometimes it's just awkward physically. <laughs> like you know, if you're trying you to reach your lower back. <laughs> yeah, or there's places you can't reach. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, I guess maybe like some of your favorite things to treat, whether it's through, um, you know, directly through acupuncture or through herbs, like what's something that just feels like super satisfying to you, like personally and professionally right now? I feel like we're all looking for those little glimmers of hope and gratitude to kind of keep (laughs) us on track. So, um, so, (laughs) well, um, yeah, I do enjoy working with my folks with cancer and just supporting them through that process that they're in. Um, actually, PMS comes to mind. <laughs> yes. PMS is one of the most satisfying things to treat with acupuncture because it just usually works pretty immediately. <laughs> um, I love that. Um, I love doing a lot of things with women's health in general. Um, these days, my I, I think I, I definitely have more older clientele, so I'm, I'm treating a lot of um, folks with menopausal issues. Um, Does that work as easily as PMS, the like menopausal it's kind of not, changes? It's, it's a little trickier because menopause is kind of all over the place. <laughs> um, and that, um, you know, things are fluctuating quickly and it can take a little longer to kind of, get a handle on it. 
Um, yeah. Can I ask you some questions about that? Because I'm 39. Sure. And mm-hmm. I, um, I was listening to the Michelle Obama podcast on, on Spotify, oh, yeah. and, which is <laughs> fabulous if anyone hasn't uh, tuned into it yet. But um, and she was talking about uh, menopause with one of her friends who's a doctor. And, you know, she was kind of sharing some very like funny, but also like horrifying anecdotes about like going to these, you know, like, going to like embassies and stepping off of a plane and being all dressed up and going through like heavy sweating. And, um, and as I'm kind of, you know, it might take me a little bit longer. Like my, my mom said she didn't start going through menopause until, uh, until her like mid or late forties, I think. So I guess I'm, I guess I'm a little bit nervous about entering this like kind of next phase of my own life. Um, do you have any like advice about how, um, acupuncture or herbs can kind of be fitting in before this starts or should I just be like waiting until I wake up with night sweats or like, I don't, I don't, I guess I'm just nervous about this like kind of next phase. No, you should be thinking about it now and I'll tell you why. Um, so from a strictly theoretical point of view from Chinese medicine, um, the, the quality um, the quality of the time that a woman has with menopause is really based on how strong her kidney energy is. And so for us, the kidney energy really includes um, all the kind of hormonal functions. And so it is about keeping your kidney energy in good shape. So a practitioner could help you assess that and and treat it if need be. Um, But some things to think about with that, a lot of us um, in this day and age and culture, um, we are pushing ourselves very hard a lot of the time and that can really deplete our kidney chi. And um, our kidney energy really kind of naturally starts to decline um, in middle age. Um, but we kind of want to do everything that we can to, to support it. And part of that is really, I think, being aware of what is your energy output versus what are you taking in. So, um, so rest, um, if you have trouble with your sleep it's I think important to address that now before hormones get weird Um, you know breathing (laughs) doing things that are nurturing to yourself um, all those things I think are important for keeping up um, a strong kidney energy so that um, and and when you say kidney energy like where what is the um, what is the kind of line or the points or, uh, I guess, can you kind of like tell us a little bit more about like what the kidney and, um, energies are, where they are, um, a little bit of, yeah. so, um, the kidney energy. So when I talk about organs in Chinese medicine, it's almost more like they are collections of functions in the body. So they're more like verbs than nouns in some ways. So, um, the kidney energy is really associated with the lower part of our body. Um, It includes the Western kidneys. Um, But for instance, sort of in the chakra system, the kidney energy would be more the first chakra and the second, and the second chakra as well. It includes our 
reproductive organs. It includes the low back. It's related to the knees. It's related to the strength of our bones. Um, it's also related to our hearing <laughs> and to um, the hair turning gray. Um, I've got some of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's more like that whole collection of functions in the body, which you know you may notice are all things that tend to decline as as we get older, right? Our our bones get uh, more vulnerable. Our you know um, our knees get more creaky. It's harder for us to hear <laughs> all those things. So the Chinese kind of noticed, like, oh, all these things go together. We're going to call them this. Um, and yeah, the actual meridian starts at the bottom of the foot and comes up the inside of the leg. Uh, I think it goes, all these things have internal pathways as well, which I don't know as well, but I think it goes into the belly and then comes up along each side of the navel and up the sternum and the top of the meridian is really between the first two ribs and then it goes internally again. Um, so, but I think the, in terms of just, it's really kind of the foundation of our energy. It's, um, you know, some people say, oh, it's, it's, if somebody has adrenal insufficiency, <laughs> that kind of thing, um, that would be considered like a kidney deficiency in Chinese medicine, that there's just been like too much pushing um, and not enough taking in and, and nurturing. So that's, I think, just in terms of where we all find ourselves as women today, that's just a really important piece of it to take care of. Yeah. So um, so you think that um, kind of getting started, even, even if it's not like for another six or seven years before I start menopause potentially, like, I mean, I'm just guessing, but to just strengthen my, key, my, um, my kidney, my kidney energies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. um, Qigong is a great way to do that also. Um, yeah, that's another good way to do it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, for you, it, um, and I would advise anybody, you know, if, if you have the resources to go see a practitioner and just have them kind of check it out, how's it going, you know, and it's something you can, if there is signs that that needs strengthening, you can start doing that herbally. Um, you can do it with acupuncture. Okay. Um, but there might be some really simple herbal thing you could take regularly. Okay. Maybe even a pill or a tincture. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Something simple. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I know that um, a lot of people are also really experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot yeah. of depression right now, um, yeah. you know, the loneliness, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, what, what would you say to those folks who are kind of going through, like, any, any tips or tricks or, or words of wisdom that you might have to offer? Um, I know it's a huge topic. So it's a huge topic, and it would vary according to who I was talking to and how things were showing up. But in general, and I kind of wanted to get back to this too in terms of COVID changing our practices. But um, um, no matter where we are in this, um, whether we have lost our jobs and we have tons of time at home or whether we 
are way more stressed out because our jobs have gotten harder and more time consuming and our, and our kids are at home and they need help with school. You know, I think we're all finding ourselves on one end or the other of that. Um, I think finding ways to take care of yourself and building some habits that work for you, whether you have, two minutes a day to sit down and breathe <laughs> or, you know, you have more time and you need to figure out how to make that time productive so that you're not just fretting. Um, I think coming up with, with um, routines of caring for yourself and support in caring for yourself are really important right now. Um, yes. And yeah. Absolutely. I think those are the most basic. Um, yeah. And then Chinese medicine is all about, you know, the things that affect our health are the things we do every day, like eating, breathing, and moving. Right. <laughs> so I think focusing on eating, breathing, and moving. Yes. <laughs> in a way that can be as nourishing as possible mm. is really important. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, um, we are nearing the top of the hour, um, so uh, if, you know if people are just tuning in and they want to little learn a little bit more about um, who you are and what you do, uh, they can always go and visit um, your uh, your website on uh, Laurel Turk. That's T U R K Acupuncture dot com, and, um, and and check out a little bit more information. There's a lot of good uh, information on on there. Um, and do you have any last last words of wisdom that you would just like to to throw out into the universe, Laurel? <laughs> My last words of wisdom. Um, I think breathing is the most important thing right now. <laughs> um, yeah. With everything shifting so much and not knowing what's going to happen in the next hour, um, really trying to stay as present as possible. Um, breathing taking in whatever beauty and delight is around you and really, you know, making some space for that. Um, and if you have time to really take advantage of this, this um, opportunity to not be running around like a chicken with your head cut off, as my mother used to say. Um, <laughs> And, and to really um, sink in as much as you can to the deeper, wiser places in yourself. Absolutely. Because um, we need those resources right now. 100%. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Energy Matters, Laurel. Um, I appreciate all your wisdom and, and sharing who you are and, and what you do. Um, and, you know, everybody, if... Um, if you are interested in following up on the rest of this episode, you can always go next week to uh, reikinorthampton.com backslash radio dash archives, and this episode will be up. Um, but again, thank you so much, Laurel. Um, we're going to be switching over to uh, Democracy Now! in just a moment. So have a great weekend, everyone, and be well. <laughs>